human first, everything else after. Welcome to What's Betwixt Us, stories of working while human. I'm Lissa Mandel. What's Betwixt Us is a series of conversations about empathy at work, at work. It's about diving into the messiness and the specificity of being human on the job, any job, and how empathy isn't just a nice-sounding buzzword for company PR. It's a rebellious act of remembering that we're human first, everything else after. Today on What's Betwixt Us, I get cozy with John Mezzo, a human resources executive in the fashion industry and a total peach. John has lent his heart and expertise to several multi-billion dollar global brands like Ralph Lauren, Michael Kors, and Burberry, but he got his start and developed his empathy as a kid in his family's friendly neighborhood bakery in Brooklyn. John comes from a background in theater where he learned what it means to be inclusive, and he still directs plays from time to time and transfers those skills into his corporate life. We chat about the importance of authenticity, the gray area, and being the most yourself. He says, regardless of how you earn a living, you can keep your passions in your life. Please enjoy episode 24, Fighting for Heart in Fashion HR with John Mezzo. Well, I'm delighted today to welcome to the What's Betwixt Us podcast, sponsored by Zany, an app for Slack that brings empathy into remote workplaces. Um, a new friend of mine who is a sparkling conversationalist, a very kind human, and a human resources executive in the fashion industry, uh, specifically lending his expertise to several multi-billion dollar brands, including Ralph Lauren, Michael Kors, and Burberry, among others. I feel very honored and not worthy. Welcome, John. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're you're so worthy. You're you're looking very fashionista today. So there you go. Oh, you're... thank you. Yes, I wore these long dangly earrings for yes, you. Yes, see? It's a yeah. statement. It's a statement. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, John, thank you so much for joining me here. Your smile is contagious. Hmm. And I wanted to ask you, uh, because I know a little bit of intel about you and your history, where where it was that you came from in your history that that brought you to the more human side of working? Sure. I, I'm I'm convinced it, it and maybe this isn't a super unique story, but I'm convinced it it had to do with my childhood and my family. Mm-hmm. Um, my my parents owned uh, an Italian pastry shop in Brooklyn, New York. My grandfather started the business in 1929. Wow! And it was I mean it was it's right out of a, <clears throat> a Martin Scorsese, Spike Lee movie about Brooklyn. And it's a corner pastry shop with a neon sign. And it's just, uh, they were there for over 75 years, but my dad passed away in the nineties and, and they couldn't run the business without him. But I, I, I look back and I, I know I was absorbing all that, that joy that came to them with what was beyond the business was the people interactions. It was, it, they, they were just like, multiple moments during the day where customers would come in and someone come in the back and occasionally my dad would have a shot of scotch with them and (laughs) and I saw the way my parents would act with the kids that would come in giving them free cookie and it just made me realize that that it showed me the crossover between the business world and that's how they earn their living and they, they were hard workers who were up early and came home covered with chocolate and sugars and stuff which the dogs always loved because they would lick my dad's shoes (laughs) but it it showed me that marriage between 
you can do a run a business, but it, it, but it was all about relationships and connecting and neighbors and um, not to go down this path right now, but I, I, I don't know that I realized it then, but I look back now and my dad was serving a, a widely diverse community. Mm-hmm. And I look back now and I realize that was something that I must have inherited in terms of just his willingness to be real and fair and kind to everyone. And it was never about who you were, your race, or your color. Yeah, that's beautiful. So it's like, you got the real, like, I, I feel like there's, you know, a, um, there's sort of an understanding about native New Yorkers. They have a sort of more grounded sense of, of that, of, mm. of diversity and variety, maybe than some people who, who come in from elsewhere. And your idea of New York was shaped by this very familial and warm way of communicating as opposed to coming from somewhere else and going straight into the corporate world and only seeing that part of New York. Yeah, I mean, that was that was my first job and I learned how to tie a box with baker string, which is not easy because you had to rip it with your fingers and you either would cut your fingers or cut the ribbon, cut the string. <laughs> One of them would had to go. So, but um, uh, just something that I thought was interesting that came so many years later at, in one of my journeys in my work career, I became friends with this, this gentleman and uh, he was the head of maintenance of the building that I worked in. Mm-hmm. And he and I became friends and he asked me about myself and I told him the history of Mezzo Pastry Shop from Brooklyn, New York. And he said, oh my God, I grew up in Coney Island and I know that store. And I said, that's crazy. And, and I met some people in my life that knew this store. And, and he said, he, he started to get emotional. And I said, what's going on? He goes, you, you may not know this. He said, but we were poor and my parents would occasionally ask us not to come into different shops with them because I now know it was because of a fear that we'd want something that they couldn't afford to oh. buy us. Mm-hmm. And he said, we were always allowed in your dad's store because they, they would just give us, you know, a cookie here and there. Um, he goes, I know for a fact now that there were years that, that my mom and dad didn't pay for my birthday cake. He says, so because of your dad, I got, I had birthday cakes on my birthday and I was just like, Oh my gosh. And so it was and this was, I learned this after my dad had passed and it was just this really nice confirmation of what I already knew about who he was and, and the, the need to, and, and I've taken that into my work life. Everything I do, I feel starts with relationships mm-hmm. and relationship building. And um, he, and he didn't do that for any publicity or it was just who they were. So. That right. Was, that's, that's yeah. true compassion, I think, and true empathy to, to reach out and to sort of read the room, whoever mm-hmm. you're working with and whatever they need to make them feel comfortable and sounds like you really absorbed that from a young age and then kept it with you. Yeah, yeah. Which is beautiful. So now uh, I want to ask about your history in theater because mm-hmm. I know that that's another piece. And uh, and maybe tell me a little bit about your experience with theater and what, what you brought from the theater experience mm-hmm. into the corporate world. Oh, sure. Well, maybe like many people, I, I was convinced that's what I was going to do for a living. That was my true passion. And... Mm-hmm. I was getting my degree at Pace University, but also studying acting at the same time. It was mm-hmm. I got the good had the good fortune to study with Uta Hagen, and she was incredible, an icon. And I look back now, and I mean, other than having to inhale like 
hours and hours of her cigarettes. <laughs> it was it was a great experience because back then you just smoked anywhere. Right. You know? But I look back, I mean, it's a lesson that I teach now when I coach people, which is regardless of what you end up doing to quote, earn your living, you can keep your passions in your life. I, I realized early in my career that that wasn't going to earn me a living. It was something that you could think you're good at, or someone could tell you you're good at it, but you, it doesn't mean you're going to make it, so to speak, or whatever that means. Right. And had it not been for Matthew Broderick, John Cryer, and Ben Stiller, I would have actually gotten some parts, but they got all the, all the parts. I Rude. <laughs> rude, rude, rude. No. But I, I do look back and I realize, you know, how I've brought theater into my work life. Well, first of all, I still have it in my life. I'll direct plays and I'll perform once in a while. And even in those environments, it's not my quote work life, but you, you, you bring empathy into those environments, right? You, you look at what it means to be inclusive. Uh, you know, you have these challenges, like I need to put on an excellent show. I need to cast the best person for this role, but I want to find ways to have the quiet person, the introverted person get a, find a voice and so on and so forth. And so you're, you're, you're consciously, I have consciously the ability to sort of look at others and see what did I remember about that experience that when I was in it, I didn't, it didn't feel so good. And so I can sort of sit in their shoes and sort of say, what, what would I do differently? And, and creating, creating environments of in, in, inclusivity and, and fun. And I mean, when you come down and you decide you want to do a show, there's lots of fun there, but bringing it into the workplace was a little bit different. Like I've done offsites with senior level executives where I've had them play improv games and you, you, you level the playing field at that point. There's the CEO next to the director of recruitment next to the guy from supply chain. And they're throwing a ball around playing word ball and, and, and laughing and, and, and getting real, which is a, which is just a word that I've come to love in, in my life, which is just being real with people. It's, uh, it's something that I talked a lot about in therapy when I was younger, which was, you know, me thinking I had to be something other than what I was to, to win or to win others over or to be good at something. And I, I learned that when you're the most yourself, you're, you're the realist. Ooh, and, that's so great. Yeah. And I can't even take credit for that concept because it actually comes from this great children's book, The Velveteen Rabbit, which is something that I'm sure that you're holding your heart. Yeah. So yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah. it's the concept of when the rabbit was ripped to shreds and his eye was hanging out and the stuffing was popped out. That's when he became a real rabbit. He was the realist. And so I use that in theater. I use it in the work world and... I help, I try to help people say, you won't win over your team. You won't win over your boss. You won't win over a client if they see phoniness or, or too much of a prepared text that's not you, it's mm -hmm. not in your speak. And so I, I think all of that has played a nice role for me, other than the obvious things of just having a comfort in terms of talking in front of people and, and presenting and things like that. But, but mostly for me, it's always come back to how do you create these environments where when, when, they're, when they're relaxed and they're cared for and they're feeling good about things, I think their performance levels go, go way off the charts. Absolutely. And when you provide a safe space for them to do that, it's easier for right. them to do that. Yes, uh, most definitely. 
I love all of this. And I, I have to ask, so, you know, what, what is it like, like specifically the challenges in fashion, which is an industry that I've never worked in, mm-hmm. except for to do some like admin temp work. When you enter those kinds of spaces, what do you see as challenges that you bring your expertise of authenticity to? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I, I mean, it, it's not at all to suggest that, you know, I, I love this industry. I've been in it my whole life. So I have nothing but great, great experiences. And as we'll eventually talk about, I've worked for so many great founder owners who walk the halls of these, build, of these businesses. And so these are, back to the word, real people running their businesses. So it's mostly all good. But I will say, if I think of a potential downside of the industry, it, it is about show. It is about presentation. It's about you're wearing the quote right thing or not, you're in style or not, you're fashionable or not. And so there are times as HR leaders that we are placed in awkward situations where we help people develop and lead others and performance manage them. And sometimes, I don't know if this is limited to fashion or retail, but sometimes, especially in creative worlds, you can't help but have the response be or the feedback be, I don't know why Lissa isn't working in this role. She just doesn't get it, or she doesn't have the eye, or she doesn't have. And so that's something that I think is unique because the business has a right to, to want you to perform in a certain way. And mm-hmm. creativity is subjective, but it does have to meet the brand and it has to be sellable and it has to be, you know, so leaders have a right to want these things, but it's, it's challenging in HR mm-hmm. to be able to help them find solid, grounded, real ways in which to give feedback to people when the feedback isn't your accounting ledgers were off by $17. It's right. like, that's black and white and so much easier. Right. And I jokingly say everything in HR is gray because it's mm-hmm. just, it's dealing with people and nothing's the same and everything is unique to who is the manager, who is the, 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 the employee and what is their relationship like? So every situation that we're faced with, with dealing with, with, you know, and how we deal with, with people is, is unique in some way. You can apply some, some standardized things to it, but, but I'd say that's what I've tried to, to teach and to have in the teams that I've managed, which is it starts with, you know, of course, getting people to, to trust us and come to us early mm-hmm. enough where we can hear the issues early enough where they can be solved before they become pervasive or a trend or, or a right. bigger problem. But most people don't always see HR that way. They think of us as the principal's office or the police station or the DMV right. where they go and get a form. And I've tried to create environments where we are part of the business, running with the business, included in, in things, or people use the expression, a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. And then when we have that, it allows for, for people to, to come to us. And yet the last thing I'll just say on the fashion piece is I ensure that my team truly understands the industry. Mm-hmm. I have to know what's current with product and what's selling and what's not, or else we don't have credibility with, right. with the business. Right. So, so we have to always think business first. That's why our titles are literally, we're called business partners because mm-hmm. it, it was something I learned in my very first job 
at Macy's when I was coming into their executive training program. On my first day, I was expecting to be in the HR department and they had me in the sock buying office. And I said, <laughs> I'm sorry, you obviously made a mistake. I said, I'm, I'm not the merchants. I'm, with, right. I'm an HR guy. And they're like, uh, no, sweetheart, you're exactly in the, in the right place. <laughs> If you're going to support these businesses, you have to understand them. So before you work on applications and org design and people management, you're going to learn how to fill out a sock purchase order. Wow. <laughs> so, so I had to learn early in my career that you need to really, we probably inappropriately use the expression, get in bed with the business and really, you know, understand. Well, it makes sense because it's sort of like, I, I think of, you know, poets, you know, you have to learn the rules before you can break them. You have to, yep. you know, write a sonnet before you can write free verse. And it sort of sounds like that. And also that your position in HR sounds like you are almost uh, a liaison or like a translator, translating, translating the language of one human being to another human being. So, mm. so that they can uh, appreciate where the other is coming from. Would mm -hmm. you see yourself that way? Absolutely. I mean, and, and it's, and it can be so many other aspects of that, but that's amongst some of the areas of HR that I thrive in the most and that I enjoy the most. It's, it's something that I've learned over my career that, you know, you can, you can go into many different aspects of HR, but that concept of having there be, I, I often, you know, use translation, but I always use communication, but it's still the same thing. It's, it's how do you effectively connect? How do you effectively communicate? How do you, how do you become a better listener? How do you really, how do you drive messages? How do you drive engagement? How do you, like all of these things are, are done more effectively when people are really strong at translating and understanding. And so, so you, you find that before you can give direction you should if you're a good leader you're listening intently you're asking a million questions about people and what they want and what they need and that goes from the ceo and what are the business needs to the people on your team and how many kids do they have and and what is what's happening in their lives and when you learn all that people are more willing to include you and when they include you then you're able to help them translate communicate connect grow. So, so the development aspects of HR and the people management piece and the growth aspects are my favorite. Mm -hmm. my well, it's like favorite a, yeah. a, a feedback loop of, of, of understanding and listening. And so, you know, you, you will gain the trust of people if you listen to them. And then once you've gained the trust, <clears> they understand that, that they will listen to you. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a, a a loop, a flowing loop. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I don't take credit for this statement, but in one of the companies I've worked for, we used to use the expression, be here now, M meaning there is no other place. And I, I think when I think back on the things that have worked well for me in, in my career, it's because I think maybe employees become pleasantly surprised when they make the time and the effort to come and see me. There's probably an expectation and I proudly feel like I blow that expectation off the, mm -hmm. I blow it off the map. I'm mm -hmm. hopefully, I, the feedback I've given is that they're surprised how approachable I am or how willing, how much I'm willing to be, to show my own vulnerabilities and my own weaknesses. Sure. And, and the listening thing is always hard because we're always so busy, but that's where the be here now is. It's like in this moment, this is all that matters to this person. 
and I'm here for them. And if I want to take on the responsibility of saying, I'm going to help you be the best you can be and grow and reach your potential at work, which is a, which serves the business, Mm -hmm. then I have to be engaged right now. And of course, you know, back to the theater thing, I love to introduce humor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think at times maybe it, it perhaps puts me in a unique situation to not be viewed as, as always so buttoned up and professional, but I actually don't, I really don't care about that. Well, but that's, that's what makes you special in that role. And if they wanted an automaton, they could hire an automaton, but they want a human being. And it sounds like you also, you kind of play the role of like a a school guidance counselor, you know, or a therapist. And if I think that could only help. I mean, when I was in high school and you know, the most insanely hardworking, overstressed, overwhelmed person. It was the blissful part of my day. Not when I was called there, but just right. that she had a couch and she would listen to me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. I always said if I was willing to study more, I would have went into psychology, but I, I was too social, too much into my theater and not willing to, to, work, to work that hard. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't do that. But, but, I, uh, but what's interesting is I can do that to the guy who's in the mailroom or to the CEO because enhancing both of their abilities to grow as people and be open to each other's feedback and voice is, is, is what contributes to the, the, the company. But you, you know what, it's, it's not necessarily an, an easy thing. I, I once had a, a CEO who was giving me feedback say, that their area of opportunity for me was I was too people focused. What? <laughs> and look, you know, I'm not above criticism or feedback. I'm human like everyone else. Right? My reviews have areas of growth just like everyone else's. But I looked back on that and that actually, that one moment sort of propelled me into actually going like into the double down mode of like, oh, that's what I am. I'm going to be twice that. Because I said to her, I said, you have a lot of people who are worried about whether that product made seven cents or eight cents more than it did last year, right? You don't have many people sitting here saying, we're going to lose Mary from the planning department if we don't listen to her, get a better manager to to develop her, pay her appropriately, ensure that we have an enhanced maternity leave program to allow her to want to stay here. my people focusedness is actually helping your business. And if I don't worry about that, who is? I'm your head of HR. So I yes, I'm absolutely too people focused and, and you're welcome. Right, because it, <laughs> it, it adds value and, and retention. I right, mean, exactly. exactly. So as head of HR, do you have, um, just because I understand that I've never, since I don't work in corporate settings mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit on the verge of having a pivot in my career right now, but I'm like, who would ever hire me because I don't have any experience in corporate. Well, we should talk. That's we what I do. Talk. We should. <laughs> do you have other people within your HR department that you mentor normally? Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I, I see it as a responsibility that I have for every single one of my direct reports. I know I'm their manager, but and again, this I don't mean for this to sound sort of self-serving, but I've I've proudly sort of taken the role of mentor on because I think a mentor is thinking about you in more ways than just did you manage this person so that they can finish finish their training program by Thursday's due date. Like 
there's that aspect of it, right? When we talk about goal setting, we talk about, yeah, we give you your review and we look backwards. How did you do last year? But then we look forwards in two in two ways. We look at the business responsibilities, like uh, Nikki needs to complete the writing of this training program by March 1st. And then what are all the personal development mental things that she needs to do to grow her as the person? Mm -hmm. So I like the concept of mentoring because I think I, if my team's willing to do it, I want to help, help manage the whole person. Meaning I've helped them reach their financial goals. I've helped them reach their personal goals. And I've even helped them reach some areas of work-life balance. Like I have team members who think they're they're making me happy by saying, oh my God, I didn't take all my vacation this year. I'm leaving so much vacation on the table. I'm like, I'm like, that doesn't, you don't get points with me for that. Like, it's there for a reason. Yeah. You have two children at home. Why are you not taking your, your time? Well, I'm so busy. Well, you know, everyone's busy. We're all here for each other. And if you have a week that you need to take that you should take, talk to me about it. And there's aspects of things that I can do for you while you're off the same way you're going to step up for me when I'm off. I'm going to take all of my vacation this year. Good. And I will continue to do it is what I say to them. Mm -hmm. So when I mentor people and they don't have to necessarily just be on my team, I've mentored just others in different parts of the business. I tell them, I'm happy to take this on as long as you're open to complete honesty, complete like painful, honestly, like if I'm your mentor, I'm going to tell you if your breath, if your breath smells. Good. Somebody <laughs> has to tell them, <laughs> you know? So yeah, I, I would, I want to be able to have them come to me and I've even, I won't name the company, but I will say I become so invested in you if I'm your mentor that I, I have even had on one occasion, the need to tell someone the best thing for them was to leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't easy, but they had, they didn't work directly for me, but they were working for someone else. And I kind of knew how they, they had been treated and I knew what their growth potential was. And I knew that wasn't what it should have been given how strong they were. Right. And this person went on to thrive in other companies. And right. I later went to their boss and said, we missed an opportunity here. We lost her because of you. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the lack of things that we did to be attentive to her. And so it's a challenge. It goes back to the piece I said earlier around just all these situations are unique and they're, they, they're, they're challenging. But in, in that case, uh, she told me later that a big CEO friend of her dad's later on told her the same advice. And so she felt good about it. She said, he, he said to her, maybe this company needs to miss you to know how much that that you were contributing oh, I mean, 100%. It's just like a breakup, mm -hmm. right? Uh -huh. I mean, yeah. you don't want to stay in a relationship where you are not being, where your potential is not being fully realized, where you're not being fully seen and appreciated for who you are. Right. And as head of HR, I mean, you you are the, the one who gives permission to people to be their best selves, mm -hmm. whether that means staying in the company or moving on and finding other opportunities. And I think yeah. that is so generous. And I, and I hope that lots of HR people are like you for that reason. I, I, I think we all, you know, what's great about it is, you know, I also, I try to be smart enough to surround myself with people who are different than me. There's a term we use called diversity management, and we don't only mean it just from a race and gender standpoint. We just mm -hmm. like, I, if I take the strengths finder 
test, you will see on my top five words like empathy or winning others over or positivity communicator, developer, things like that. I try to surround myself with people whose maybe top skill is analytical or mm -hmm. something like that, because I may not bring that to, to the table. There are things you have to do and you just find ways of doing that, right. but it's not your natural go-to place. And I don't know that any one style is better, but I, but I'm, I do, I do try to bring that and it's served me well. Like I, I think about this year mm -hmm. and what, we just came through talk about things not in the normal hr textbook even for someone who's been doing this for 25 years like okay cool um let's do a global pandemic on top of all the financial impacts that has on a company so it, it forces us to go into like cost cutting and reductions and things like that mm -hmm. on top of that let's layer on national unrest with the black lives matter movement that's ripping people's lives apart and I, in those moments, I'm sort of really happy to lead with empathy because we, we bring about these forums and people are so appreciative that we do these things and they have a, a place to have a voice. And I mean, it's so emotional and people are crying and they're talking about their experiences and it's eye-opening because as much as you think you're an ally or a supporter, let's say, of, to someone who's a person of color, you don't you have no clue what they go through. And right. one woman tells a story about how she was called the worst possible word you could think of at a gas station, just because she was at a gas station filling yeah. her car. So in those moments, I'm, I'm happy to be better at people than I am at spreadsheets because mm -hmm. that's the need at the moment. Mm -hmm. But uh, during, during this pandemic where I assume, you know, everybody or most people were working remotely, did you find that your role uh, shifted and, and did people still come to, to talk to you, quote unquote, like in Zoom fashion as they would come yeah. to your office? They, they did, they, that didn't stop. It only, that only became more, more enhanced. In fact, some of the things we had to do was give people more tools. We started doing these energy classes about what it's like to try to thrive while you're alone in your Mm -hmm. home and some people had better home situations some right. like you know are fortunate to live in a really nice big house where they have all the space they want and some have seven roommates and living on top of a restaurant and they have no piece of, you know so right. it was a, it, it just added more layers of things that brought people to reach out to us in terms of their stress we had to remind them of all the mental health benefits that we offer from employee counseling services that we have in our employee appreciation programs and what they get through their medical benefits and so on. So back to your question around fashion and retail, the complexities of our industry is that you don't have a hundred percent of your people sitting in one office building. Right. There's a, there's a benefit to that where everybody's accessible to you. We have hundreds of stores with people at all different levels across multiple States mm -hmm having different needs and, and COVID comes along. And so a lot of retail salespeople can't work from home. Right. So we had to make a decision and the, the company I was working for during the pandemic decided to pay their employees for three months while we weren't wow. working. And, you know, I, I can't take credit for that. I was one of the voices in the room, but it, it would have required the financial leadership to agree to that. And we did. And right. people felt invested in and they felt cared for mm -hmm. 
where, where my team comes in during a pandemic is, you know, we hoped to make sure people knew that we were putting their health and their safety ahead of everything. Like we said to our customers, you, you have a right not to wear a mask, but if you do not wear a mask, you cannot shop here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we'll bring it out to your car, we'll do what you want, mm-hmm. but that's an employee first mindset. And all those things we did from paying people to having clear policies, to shutting a store if someone tested positive to say, we don't want to take a chance of spreading this. All of those things came back to us in the form of loyalty and gratitude and people's appreciation for what we did. Of course. Yeah. That, that, that positive energy definitely pays itself forward for sure. And I think you just enlightened me. I, I don't think I realized, because obviously I know that retail is a huge part of these companies, but I don't think I realized that you actually touch those satellites as well. I think I was just thinking of like, you know, the corporate office, but right. the fact that your influence reaches out like, like octopus tentacles, <laughs> to all these retail stores and all these people, I mean, yeah. that's a huge, that's a huge responsibility. Sometimes and- it's global. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, um, it's often in the thousands in terms of the number of people you can feel a responsibility for. And it's, it's something that you you can never not be thinking about, right? Even just simple things like, I have to send this critical message. Well, if you're sending it to Asia, please know that they're already living in tomorrow <laughs> or they're sleeping. <laughs> and and just the concept of, of all of that in, in thinking through messaging and it goes back to, look, I just think how you message and how you communicate and mm-hmm. how you talk to people and, 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 and um, if they feel cared for and uh, then they're, they're, they're going to work harder for you. But, yeah. but yeah, there's a whole, we call it our field and it's not just stores. It's our warehouse teams that we would, they're like the heartbeat of the company. You cannot succeed without, you know, if you're ordering something online and you want it shipped to your house, someone's got to put it in a box. Yeah. Ship it to you. And wow. wow. You know, we're sending it to a store, but uh it, ta- it takes a lot of hands, but, uh, but your heart, your heart is big enough. Your heart is big enough to encompass everybody. I think. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're there. Um, cause I know, you know, I prepped you for, you know, specific stories or, or philosophies about empathy and you've talked a lot about them. Mm-hmm. Are there particular stories where you've witnessed empathy or have been the recipient of it or have been the giver of it mm-hmm. uh, in your work time that you wanted to share? I guess, I can, I can think of a, you know, if I think of the hardest part of an HR person, and I don't just say leader because it's at all levels, when, when you have to do layoffs or we call it job eliminations or reductions in force or rips, whatever they're called, that's the single hardest thing, right? Because working hard is working hard. Someone is fired. They may not agree, but there might've been something they did that caused it. And so there's a a cause for their departure. When you're talking about a reduction, you're talking about someone who could very easily be someone who is thriving, who's doing really great work, who we just don't physically have the financial ability to support that role. And you have to sit across the desk and look them in the eye and tell them the story. And I believe that is one of the places where having the ability to, to be in that person's, in, in their shoes and know what it's like. And to be so caring and compassionate for what this experience is and, and 
I look back at some of the moments that stand out to me in my own career were moments where I had to lay someone off. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the conversation, they were in tears hugging me. Wow. And that's not all of them. Right. <laughs> I've also had a case where someone flipped the desk over. Wow, oh my gosh. Movie up in the air. They do a lot of that. George Clooney and Anna Kendrick. Well, that movie is, you know, really a lot about the, the, the reduction in force concepts right. that happen in HR. But, but that's not the norm. The, the norm is that people will either give you that moment of hug in the moment, or they will later write you to say, I know this is, this is, of course, it's hard for me. And it's a devastating moment for me, but I want you to know that I appreciate the way, the, the care and attention you took to have that sensitive conversation with me. And it, it takes the shape of how did you prepare for it? Did you fight for equitable and fair severance dollars for them? Did you have a script that, that, that was short and concise, but to the point, and they understood the why of why this is happening? Like all of those things, including just giving them a chance to be and sit and cry or tell you about their family or to, I had to do that my whole career, but only later in my career did it actually happen to me. And so I actually say to people, the best thing that could happen to you as an HR person is if you could lose your job early in your career, because you take that moment with you and you see how other people manage the situation when, when it's you they're talking to. And I'll say it's one of the things I'm most proud of is because those can be really, really emotional situations. You're talking about people's livelihood. And I'm, I'm smart enough to know that I know it's just their work life, but we all know the hours people put into their work life. So your work life is a pretty huge percentage of your life. The, the domino effect of one's job loss and to their kids and their family and schools their kids can or cannot go to or putting food on the table. I mean, like I don't take that stuff Lightly, I think of it as life and death. And I, I think that shows when, when I sit with people and you have to do these terrible things. And, yeah, and I, th I think it's really profound that you said, you know, you understood better when it happened to you. And I think that that, that goes for all kinds of pain in life, right? I think that sure. when you experience pain and move through it, it makes you a more empathetic person. Hopefully mm -hmm. it doesn't just shut you down. Hopefully right. you process it in a healthy way. Yeah. And that it makes you more available and more able to really understand and have compassion for people when they're in that spot. So. I mean, it doesn't have to be in the form of these big moments of like company-wide restructures. So, I mean, sometimes I think the other stories I tell are, are moments where great leaders are the ones who are just taking time out of the crazy week because they could all just be, I'm so busy, whatever. You have to take the time, like during this whole pandemic, we made it a point to have weekly, we have weekly business meetings with my team. And then we had weekly meetings or I think they were bi-weekly actually, but they were there just for fun. We didn't have agendas. We would have like wear a funny hat day or we would mm -hmm. do something where, I mean, pick it. It was just designed to be a moment to take a breath. And I was, I'm one of those leaders that's convinced that those moments, even though it's 30 minutes out of a day and you're not being productive at that moment, you're, you're contributing to productivity that comes before and after that. Absolutely. Because moment. that's what, I mean, you need to have your cup filled, right. right. In, order yep. to, in order to perform. And, and if you're just working and working and working and working, there's no, there's no energy that gets generated 
and and so I'm really glad that you made space for that for the fun only part because it's it's so just as important I think as the work part sure and and I mean I, th I we had a warehouse worker this year who contracted COVID and unfortunately many people in our company that the ones who did seemed to be fine and they made their ways through it but this person struggled tremendously and of course I won't name them but they went into a coma and they were wow. having they had a stroke and and I when I think about the companies that I want to work for or the the teams that I want to lead or the cultures that I want to create it's an environment where we do the things we did for this particular person where we spoke to their husband mm -hmm. almost on a daily basis and that wasn't easy because she didn't speak English well and he didn't speak English well so we had to find certain people that could be the point person to communicate with them and then we learned that that she was doing well and she went from the hospital to rehab center but the rehab center they were offering in her benefits plan was going to be so many miles for her husband to drive yeah. and and the head of our legal department said and i'm not taking credit for this it was his idea he said let's talk to them and see let's talk to our benefits providers and see if we could find a place like these are out of the box things that you're just not required to do that you could make a case for saying, I don't want to do that for person A, because then I have to do it for a thousand people. Well, my theory is if there's a thousand people who get COVID who are almost dying from it, then maybe we should do it for them too. But right. no one had reached that level that right. this woman did. And caring about the amount of time her husband had to drive in his car to be with her mm -hmm. is a is a culture that again you're doing it for the right reasons, but I do think these things pay business dividends eventually because Absolutely. They, they, they make for environments where, where great people want to stay. Absolutely. And feel, and feel protected and feel even more inspired to do better so that, you know, if you, if you take the extra step, they'll be inspired to take the extra step, you know, rather than just skate by on the bare minimum. Right. Exactly. It's so easy to just say, Oh, well that, that rehabilitation place is just not in our benefits package. Well, did you ever think we could call the benefits provider and say, we want to, we want you to help us find yeah. something that's closer. And we know that's going to be a little more costly for us, but we're willing to, to make this investment. And then suddenly it happens. I think that's great. I love that. I love hearing. I just love hearing that, 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 that happens, that, that brings yeah. some heart into the corporate environment that I think we should hear more about. So thank you for being a part of that. Yeah, sure. I, I I'm happy to say she's she's well. She's Excellent. better. Yeah, I'm so that's great. That. That's great. I'm so great, glad great. to hear that. Well, <laughs> John, we always end these podcasts with um, a question from the Zany app, which is of course like, you know, a weekly conversation starter. So every mm -hmm. week there's a there's a question that gets released in people's DMs on Slack that has nothing to do with work and they answer the question and it opens a the um, a discussion channel so they can right. talk about something not work related such as your funny hats <laughs> meetings. So uh, the question that I'm going to ask you today is what is something that you love that most people hate? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Putting you on the spot. What is something that I love? Can I ask my wife? Yeah. <laughs> to, to help me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Kath. What's something that I like that other people hate? <laughs> <laughs> 
this is the question isn't what's something that I love that you hate, but okay, no, uh, it was, she's like a large crowded room of strangers <laughs> and she's a hundred percent right. And if you, I am drawn to that. I thrive on meeting new people and getting to know them. And, and although I know as I'm married to an introvert, she would look at that as her worst nightmare. Right. Um, I don't know if most people would hate that, but I, I could, you know, I have a secret wish to crash a wedding someday. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't uh, mustered up the strength to do it yet, but um, oh, I- Oh, you'd be so, I, such a fun addition to a wedding. Anyway. <laughs> well, if I, if I do it someday, I'll, I'll definitely call you back and let you know. But yeah, but yeah I would say maybe that's, that's a great answer. So I appreciate my wife's help on that one. But yeah, I'd say a big crowded room filled with strangers. And uh, I would love that. That sounds good to me. <laughs> I'm into that too. Well, John Mezzo, is there, uh, where, where can people find you, learn more about you if you want to be found? Sure. Well, I, I am still someone who is in the, the world of working for other organizations. Eventually, I, I would love to, uh, I've thought about the concept of, of having my own HR business. And it was, when it, when it does launch, it's going to be called the heart of HR. No surprise, given what you just talked about. But for right now, I'd say the easiest way would be to, uh, to find me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has my it has my work history and you know the places that I volunteer and the advisory boards that I sit on. So it does have a nice little snapshot of who I am. It's, it's largely and mostly about my my work life, but I, I do have a pretty large network on LinkedIn. I think it's about six thousand people, and so wow. I would say maybe just as a reminder, if someone leak reaches out as a product of this podcast, maybe they should just note that so I'll know to accept it because they're just are times where I'm overwhelmed with the number of people that try to make requests. And sometimes it's because they're trying to sell you something or something like that. But if they say they were on this podcast, I'll be happy to, uh, to accept them. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, John, for joining us on what's betwixt us. You can cough. I can see it. <laughs> um, you're great. And I, I, I wish that, uh, that you keep doing this great work because I think it's so important. Well, thank you. Well, you're the best. And I'm so thrilled that you're doing this because this is so important. And you have found this great little space that I think no one's talking about. And good for you. And cheers. And if you ever want uh, a one on one and you want to talk mentor, coach, life coach, career coach, you know, I'm a fan. So I'll be there for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for tuning in to episode 24 of What's Betwixt Us, Stories of Working While Human. To learn more about John and connect with him, you can find him on LinkedIn. He's a warm, fabulous conversationalist, and he truly cares about people. What's Betwixt Us is powered by Zany, designed to build trust and authentic human connection in remote workspaces. More at zanie.app human first everything else after human first everything else